AI is all about data, so it's no surprise that enterprises are deploying their own private AI inside the firewall. This episode of Utilizing Tech brings Chris Wolf, Global Head of AI and Advanced Services at VMware by Broadcom, to discuss private AI with myself and Frederick Van Haren. Welcome to Utilizing Tech, the podcast about emerging technology from Gestalt IT, part of the Futurum Group. This season of Utilizing Tech is returning to the topic of artificial intelligence, where we will explore the practical applications and impact of AI on technological innovations in enterprise IT. I'm your host, Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. Joining me on this session as my co-host is Frederick Van Haren. Frederick, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. So you and I are both uh, attended uh, AI Field Day, of course, and one of the things that's happening in this whole AI is getting real space is companies are looking at repatriating or maybe patriating AI, essentially bringing it inside the firewall, making their own private AI. Uh, this is not a surprise to those of us in the industry, right? Yeah, you're right, Stephen. So a lot of organizations nowadays understand that collecting data is important for AI. And as a result of this, they have been looking at ways to get value out of that data. Acquiring the hardware, buying GPUs and CPUs is not difficult anymore. It's readily available and, and really cost effective. The only problem is, is that they're difficult to get, right? There's a, there's a waiting line for the GPUs. However, um, enterprises with that data acquire the hardware and luckily for them, the algorithms are open source. So it's really easy for them to be self-sufficient going all the way from training to inference and deploying those models internally. Yeah, and, and I think that you're right. In fact, um, you know, you and I and, and a lot of the people are out here who are experimenting with AI aren't just doing it in the public cloud. I mean, um, I've deployed AI applications locally and increasingly we're seeing CPUs and accelerators and, and as you say, GPUs available with AI acceleration features that you can deploy right locally. Um, you know, I've got a one over there uh, in this uh, in this very room. Um, it's it's pretty cool to see what you can do. Yeah, indeed. I think um, I think it's it's we are now in an area where organizations by themselves can can try all kinds of stuff around AI. It used to be that you needed like a PhD in order to do something. Nowadays, it's a lot easier and certainly with the availability of data. I mean, there are still challenges. There's no doubt about that. But there is no lack of information. There's a lot of models uh, out there available to people. There are websites like Hug and Face who deliver and provide links and source codes to build your own. They even have uh, full-blown communities where if you get stuck, you can, you can ask questions. So I do think it's, it's a great, great time to, to be and working in an AI. Um, it wasn't the case five, 10 years ago, but nowadays it's relatively easy to do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, today we're going to be bringing in a special guest to discuss the deployment of private AI, and that is uh, Chris Wolf, who is Global Head of AI and Advanced Services at VMware by Broadcom. Uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Yeah, Stephen, thanks. Happy to be here. So you aren't just uh, evangelizing AI, you're actually helping Broadcom and, and, and VMware uh, deploy AI services internally, right? Yeah, I think we're, we're a pretty unique charter uh, 
And I would I would expect maybe some other uh, companies, if they had a chance to go, you know, empty canvas might take a similar approach. So our organization is responsible for AI and advanced service development that goes into a lot of the products uh, that the, the company sells. We're really focused on bringing AI services to the VCF division. But what sets us apart is our charter also includes operating the internal AI services for the company. And that has been really good for us because it's given us a lot of insight into what works, what doesn't work, how can you scale, you know, what are the management challenges that customers might run into and, and so forth. So it's a, it's a really good blend for us and it's uh, proven to be really effective in terms of helping to shape what we do on the product side. So I really am super eager to hear sort of how you're doing this and the nuts and bolts of it. But first, I'd actually love to say, um, to hear you tell us a little bit more about why deploy private AI? Why would uh, you know VMware do this internally instead of uh, externally in the public cloud or in a specialized provider or through software as a service or something? Uh, what are the driving factors behind this? Yeah, there's there's a bunch. I mean, when we first started uh, looking at, uh, you know, really the art of the possible, we had to do some of our own internal myth busting. You know, like you need hundreds to thousands of GPUs if you're going to do anything with AI or generative AI. Right? It was kind of the prevailing thought if you go back uh, the last uh, year or two. And uh, one of the first use cases we had was we were looking at uh, Code Assist or software development and, and really helping our software engineers to be more productive uh, in their day jobs. So we looked at some public cloud services and our legal team had a really firm opinion on that, which was just no. Uh, there was too much that was unknown. There was too much risk. There was concern that VMware software IP uh, would be used to train models that could benefit competitors, as, as an example. Uh, we were concerned around IP leakage, right? These are genuine concerns we hear from a lot of organizations. So that led us to uh, look at the StarCoder open source model on Hugging Face and say, well, let's, let's deploy that. Let's see how that works out for us. And we didn't pick like even like a real easy use case. We were going after C programming and ESXi kernel development, uh, which is some of our more opinionated software engineers, which is great. It's a, you know, let's really put this thing to the, the, uh, through its paces. Uh, we did have to uh, tune the model. So we needed to take uh, some, some of the, um, some of the, um, sorry, code commits from, are really good software engineers, and uh, that 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 allowed the model to not learn just our coding style, but our commenting style. You know how we like to do documentation for uh, what we're building around ESXi. But what happened was pretty interesting. I think was really the outcome of this. So the model tuning we knew we used a couple of NVIDIA A100s. It took us half a day uh, to refine the model with a relatively small data set, and. The result was we had roughly from our survey, I believe the number was 92% of our software engineers that used the tool plan to continue using it, which these were two aha moments for me. So one was, you know, we had, um, uh, we had to use less um, compute resources than we thought than we were anticipating. And that's been the theme as I've talked to other like CIOs and CDOs and CTOs and our customer segment. But then the other one was like, I can't get 25% of VMware software engineers sometimes to agree on something. So when you have more than 90 saying, yes, this is great, that's, we really knew we were onto something at that point. So I wanted to give you an example, but you know, private AI started with really some requirements from legal. 
And then we started to see that we have all of these other use cases where we have this internal documentation that sits behind our firewalls. Customers have the same issues with sales contracts, legal contracts, all of these kind of things. And we started to see that we can apply this to lots of different use cases that aren't just use cases we have, but our customers have the same ones as well. Right. So how did you find those use cases? I mean, did people come to you or did you kind of found the use cases and build on top of them? Yeah, it was, um, uh, I guess it was a little bit of both. So uh, there was some discovery that happened. You know, some of the things like in the early days, if you want to call it the early days, when like chat GPT was really taking off, there was a lot of thoughts internally, even in the engineering organizations that, well, I can hook this product into chat GPT and build like a customer chat interface. And it's like, yeah, you can, but you're not going to be, I, you're, we're not going to let you. Uh, because there's customer, it's the customer's data. They own the data. We can't arbitrarily say we're going to just start shipping it to a cloud and to an AI model, right? That is just, you know, absolutely not. So uh, things around, you know, how can we localize AI, which is actually something uh, in my organization we've been working on for the last three years. Uh, concepts like federated machine learning has been an area of, of exploration for us for some time. Uh, but there were use cases that were kind of like just on the surface. And we, we were able to validate this with a lot of customers very early on. And the top one being like customer support. It doesn't matter if you're healthcare or your IT or manufacturing or retail, everybody has a customer support use case. And to be able to help even just a support agent to be able to get information quicker and the right information quicker is a use case that everybody has. Uh, so we have this internal ret retrieval augmented generation solution that is trained on all of the VMware internal documentation. Uh, we do updates every 24 hours. So this content is always fresh. And I can ask the model anything. I can ask it for uh, VRA scripts to do cloud integration, to uh, configuration options, to troubleshooting details. Uh, you know, you name it, you can ask it. And the model is, is not just going to give you a response, but it's also going to give you links to the sources of where it, it derived the data from, uh, which is also, we found to be important. Because I, I can tell you, our early days of running even open source language models on premises or just in general, and this isn't just open source, this is a lot of them. Uh, when an AI model is wrong, it's confidently wrong. Right, like, like you would ask it, the, who's the CEO of VMware? And it would like make up a name that sounded like CEO-ish, but it, had, it was never a CEO in the company's history. It's like, where did you even get this from? Um, but that's also the difference between just like a base foundation model. And when you use something like RAG or retrieval augmented generation, you can, you can back the foundation model with uh, current sources that can really help uh, to improve the accuracy uh, of the model as well. So how do you validate the data? I mean, you, you, you have your own data. How do you validate then that the data is, is, is the right data and doesn't create hallucinations? Yeah, you, um, it's, it's a, of course, you know, there's a lot of testing that has to go in. The more that we can tune and adjust model weights can help in terms of model accuracy. And it is one of the things sometimes you do see benchmarks out there and it, it, it bugs me to a degree where you are seeing benchmarks where folks are, are really focused on the inference times, like how quickly can the model provide an answer? And you'll see like, well, the 7 billion parameter model provided an answer in 200 milliseconds. Well, that, that means nothing if the answer is wrong, right? So this is where uh, you have to find even that balance between accuracy and speed. And for us internally, 
Uh, we've we've had really good success with a lot of the thirty billion parameter models, where you're not you're not really compromising accuracy. You can get strong results, and you can still get that cup speed in terms of a turnaround in a couple hundred milliseconds um, at at reasonable scale. But it's there, there's a lot that has to go in, and then also what we've tried to do across the company is pull in other teams because we don't want to just test within our own organization. We've asked um, other parts of the Broadcom business to use the same services. You know, this is since VMware had closed uh, the deal with Broadcom. Uh, so we have users in lots of different parts of the company too that's able to onboard and give us feedback. Uh, and that's also helping. Uh, and I, I'd say the last thing I would mention too is because we're also a team that's operating services, um, we have a we have a pretty unique opportunity where we get to talk to a lot of our customers, uh, data science teams, and and teams that are running their their AI services as well. And what we do is we get together and compare notes. So like, what open source models or commercial models are you using? What are you, what are you you know how are you uh, 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 you know tuning these models? What is your tuna da tuning data set like? How do you go about this? Like, all that information has been really helpful. Uh, for us to grow and learn. And I think for our customers as well, we try to just keep like an open exchange. Yeah, I think that it's easy to deploy a uh, very, very high performance magic eight ball that will just make up an answer to whatever question you give it. <laughs> it's much better right. to have one that uh, even if it's not as high performance, even if it doesn't have as many parameters that actually searches the right data and recovers the right document. Because, you know, truly that kind of, um, you know, data retrieval, I think there's a lot of applications for that beyond uh, software development and um, customer support, but those are certainly great examples of that. Did you find it challenging to integrate it with an unstructured and varied data set like support information, or was it um, you know something that you could easily feed into the model? How do you connect to to, the, to all that data? Yeah, no, that is the uh, that is the biggest and hardest challenge uh, today. Uh, to the point that we've been developing some of our own services that we're looking to integrate into the product side because that data scraping piece is is difficult uh, because you have unstructured data in lots of different places. Uh, sometimes uh, the, if you're scraping even like web data, you know, the, the way the pages are formatted or metadata on the pages might not actually be to proper standards and then you're just having trouble even scraping the data off the page. Um, there is... Uh, uh, a, a good community and uh, in, in the Llama Index community, if you look at a lot of different data collectors that are being developed there, uh, that we've also been uh, looking at uh, as, a, as an effective way to complement really what we've done on our own. Like, so our, our stack was completely homegrown, but we, we, we've, we've recognized this as a really key customer need. Uh, you see a lot of talk right now around data preparation services and really helping to be able to feed data uh, into properly into a vector database to be used uh, for uh, you know generative AI. So, so yes, we've run into the problems. We have the scars, and I'd say the the contribution we're looking to make is to take what we've learned and produce our own technology that can help customers to to be able to collect data in a more automated fashion. Uh, do so in a way that's meeting their policy uh, constraints as well is uh, aligned to their access policies. I mean, these are things where. AI can go horribly wrong. Like if I use elevated permissions to collect data and then I have, you know, lower level permissions being used to query against the model, now you're, you've created a backdoor, right? And that's a real issue for organizations that you have to be really careful with. So you talked a little bit about internal services and, and, and talking about um, 
sharing the models with customers. Do you also do share data sharing with your customers? I mean, both ways, or is is there other like privacy concerns around that? No, no, we've been uh, we've been pretty much open uh, to the point that even we've had a couple of cases where we've even had our legal teams get together to talk about best practices because even how you do a contract now around an AI service is fairly um, you know, unsettled, I guess, and from a law practice is concerned. There's not a lot of legal precedent around these things. So we've tried to really take a community-based approach and just you know, share what we've learned, uh, listen to others. And, and that's, I'll tell you, that's really how we've been doing things for, for years, not just even in AI, but in other areas of innovation, because it's, it's allowed us to have a much higher success rate in what we do you know, I look around the industry and there's lots of places that have kind of given up on organic innovation. Uh, it's just too hard to get right. But it's 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 not as hard if you really take the time to listen and ask the right questions and not lead witnesses. Right. You can really get to some good insights and uh, uh, find yourself to be successful. But, you know, for us, um, everything from like, hey, you know, what models are you using to um uh, to, you know, other aspects of the use cases, you know, especially comparing uh, uh, things around open source for, you know, what projects are you using for model serving? Are you using commercial solutions? You know, these are all things that um, uh, help in terms of, because I think we're all in kind of learn mode here. You don't know what you don't know. So you want to hear from others. And uh, I would say on average, we're probably doing uh, one to two data exchanges per week uh, with different organizations, uh, just learning from them and they're learning from us. So we're just talking essentially peer to peer. So we talked a little bit about data sharing. How about code sharing? Do you contribute back to some of the projects or, or do you actually have your own projects that you're sharing with the community? Yeah, we have both. So you look at, there's a VMware, uh, private AI, uh, GitHub repo, uh, that has a lot of projects that we've been contributing back. Uh, I think one of the, the funnest things we've done is uh, contributions back to uh, Ray, the Ray open source project. Ray does a lot of things. I mean, at the, the highest level, uh, Ray is um, providing a way to orchestrate and across and scale AI clusters. Uh, we've liked Ray though strategically because it also has a great um, ecosystem of uh, software, AI software companies that integrate with it. So when you want to connect um, an AI software stack to infrastructure, you can do so using open source Ray. And we like it because I don't have to, I don't, I, uh, an uh, ISV or open source project doesn't have to know or care about VMware I, uh, APIs to run on a VMware stack. They can just talk Ray. So we upstreamed all of our integration work into the Ray community. Uh, we've created a plugin uh, to vCenter that can allow that really seamless turnkey integration uh, with us as well. Uh, and that's been, uh, that's been, I'd say, one of our early successes, uh, we joined the UXL Foundation as a steering member. Uh, that's something that was initially founded by Intel and several partners around one API. Uh, so, so that's been another area of contribution. And we also, a lot of the models that we've worked on, we've open sourced. And we have, a, you'll see a, a VMware AI Labs uh, repo on Hugging Face. Uh, so you can check that out as well. And that's just the start. There's, there's a lot more. Uh, that we're looking to contribute to and other projects in the uh, open source space that are uh, really important to us. And again, we want to uh, we want to do our role in the in the ecosystem. And for us, it's really about uh, connecting AI to uh, infrastructure in a really low cost and scalable way. Because uh, you know the other thing that people are struggling with today is often 
when I get GPUs, it might take me three or six months or longer to get more. So you have to be really smart about maximizing the capacity of the GPUs you have. And this is where technologies like virtualization play a huge role. Because when you get into inferencing, where I'm just now applying the model to an application or a use case, right? Um, I'm oftentimes needing a fraction of a GPU. So I can start to slice up GPUs more effectively. And that's where you really start to get to some good cost savings uh, if you're an enterprise organization. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's, that's quite interesting. Uh, from a, a contribution perspective, do you expect uh, people to rely on the VMware AI stack or are your contributions more generic where anybody can, can benefit from it? Yeah, a lot of our contributions are, are entirely generic. Of course, we want to we, we want people to run on our stack because we think we have the best best platform for and choice for AI services in the ecosystem. Uh, the things we do around being able to virtualize uh, GPUs, use uh, technologies like DRS to do more intelligent placement of AI workloads, um, being able to provide a common set of management operation tools for your AI and non-AI workloads. I think those are all good reasons to run on VMware. But if you look at what we've been doing historically over the past several years, we want applications and customers to want to run on our platform because they want to, not because they have to. You know, and that starts with even uh, having a, a, an upstream Kubernetes API service above our stack. So I can integrate with the Kubernetes API. That's what the IT ops teams can provide. And there is no stickiness there, right? You want to move to another Kubernetes-based infrastructure, go for it, right? We're not going to stand in your way. You know, we want to do things the right way. That's really important to our philosophy. That's been our philosophy around open source uh, as well. And um, uh, we want to be, you know, good members of the community. So you're going to continue to see a lot of, uh, a lot of good upstream uh, work. I want to say, just to give you an idea, I just went and approved these. I mean, just in my organization alone, uh, we're contributing upstream, I, I want to say, to 60 or 70 different projects right now. Yeah, I think that's that's important because, you know, in all these spaces, what we've seen is that uh, there's there's a lot of takers, um, but the one the companies that are more uh, open and uh, and contributing are the ones that are going to see a lot more success. Um, and, and, the, and the aspect of, of virtualization as well, I think that a lot of people, when they hear the word VMware, they think, virtual machines and that's you know kind of where it begins and ends but that's really not what you're talking about here i mean for the for the most part apart from the idea of sharing gpus a lot of the stuff you've been describing is not virtual machine bound at all um in the interests of kind of the customer deployment aspect though i'm curious um how did the conversation go and and how do you have those talks about contributing to open source, uh, you know, working on projects that aren't uh, proprietary IP, um, you know, st stepping back from, you know, what, what VMware is offering to its customers. Um, how, do, how do people in, the, in this space make that case and have that conversation internally to, to be part of the community? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good question. I think we could do a podcast on this alone, you know, if you think about it. Um, you know, for us, like if you if you really break things down and simplify, you can start by asking yourself, well, if I'm the customer, how would I want to run the software stack, and what does it look like, right? And that's led us to you know other open source projects I haven't mentioned, like Kubeflow, which we've done a lot of work in in that community as well. Um, you start to think about um, things a little differently, and you know obviously there's parts of our stack that the company monetizes. Uh, you know the the biggest thing is. Infra on-prem infrastructure is hard, 
right? It's really hard uh, to do and get right and to scale. Uh, there's lots of very large companies that have tried and failed at it. Uh, it just happens to be something that VMware, we feel we're the best in the industry at in terms of providing like a, a comparable on-prem IaaS. Um, so that's where we're going to continue to focus. We want to stay in our lane there. And then our open source efforts really come down to, well, how can we enable uh, communities and lots of other apps and services to be successful on our platform? Uh, so, so that's also been, I'd say, you know, a part of our thinking is it, but it, you start with the customer problem statement and say, well, how would they want to really operate on this? And then the answer has become a little more clear, whether, you know, like our, we're doing work in PyTorch because it's such a popular uh, open source AI framework. So there's uh, that, you know, contributing to UXL because we want to promote customer choice. Um, it's, it's trying to make all the right moves, but at the end of the day, um, you know, my 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 firm belief is you you win people's trust by not doing unnatural things to make them have to stay on your platform. You want them to stay because they want to because they get the the right amount of value. So that's I mean at the high level that's what's really driven our thinking. Um, and then we we do look at uh, uh, on a project by project basis like what is the strategy uh, behind this, right? So I think that's you want to be mindful of what you're doing in open source. I think the uh, what we've really tried to work hard to avoid is we don't even with what we open source ourselves we don't want to just like have somebody go and open source something and declare victory you know putting putting some some uh binaries on your github page to die is not a successful open source strategy right you should be thinking about well if if we're going to open source something how what is our strategy to build community around it right how do we how do we really engage what are the opportunities for our community members right and how should they be thinking about this you know, one that I haven't mentioned, which I think is some of our more exciting work recently is in confidential computing. You know, we built a, a certifier framework that we've open sourced. It's with the Confidential Computing Consortium now, you know, part of the Linux Foundation. And um, what, what that technology provides is an interop layer. So I can code an application once to take advantage of confidential computing constructs, and I can traverse AMD or Intel or other hardware uh, uh, hardware-based TPMs, and I don't have to rewrite the application, which is huge, right, from a, a, a software developer and customer value point of view. But our thought on this was, when we built a technology, when you put, when you wear your customer hat, you say, well, if this was proprietary for VM, to VMware, am I just trading, you know, one one point of stickiness for another? And the answer is, yeah, you are. So to us, the right thing to do was to open source it. And now what you've seen is there's a huge community of contributors outside of VMware that are you know, deeply involved in this project uh, because it's the right thing to do. You know, we'll enable uh, confidential computing interop on our platform for sure, but we don't think that that should be a proprietary control point that VMware owns. We think it should be in the Linux Foundation where it can have neutral governance. So one of the questions I get a lot is how to get started, right? So how do you... Do you have any tips and tricks for organizations that that have basic AI knowledge, but want to participate in private AI? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So that is the hard part, right? It's like, well, I don't even know what to do. So maybe I'll just like play around with some of these other services. But, uh, you know, one place to get started is uh, we've published a reference architecture. That's right now, I want to say it's um, 60 or 70 pages. And 
what's exciting about that is it's everything from, well, here's how you can take the Hugging Face star coder model and start doing your own internal code assist use case. Uh, we have that in there. Here's how you can think about sizing your network based on the size of the model that you're looking to run. And you can do a lot of this with Ethernet networking with a small number of GPUs, uh, you know, just enough CPUs to run your apps or whatever, and you're, you're off and running. Um, the, the investment is typically less than you think uh, in terms of, you know, those, those cases. The other thing I would suggest is to pick a use case that really resonates with your business where you can get the quick win uh, to just be able to prove the value. So like a chat interface for us is something that's really uh, just fundamental, I think, to most organizations. Having an internal search that's smarter, that can find answers more quickly, right? These are the low-hanging fruit. And VMware's plans is to take what we've already done with our internal apps in the coming months, you're going to see us open source uh, these applications that we kind of call starter apps right now, that's going to really help uh, help our customers in the industry where you're looking to kick the tires and kind of see what's possible and do it very efficiently. Um, you know, to also make it simple for um, the industry, our joint solution with NVIDIA is going to be available in the coming months. So take a look at that. It's really the best of VMware, the best of NVIDIA technologies to give you a simple turnkey appliance to be able to just get started and get value from AI right away. So we were all involved in the uh, AI Field Day event that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if, you've, if you're interested in this conversation, you want to learn more, I would recommend starting uh, by going to techfieldday.com or uh, looking on, uh, on YouTube for the videos of the VMware presentation at AI Field Day, which includes uh, Chris and his team talking about a lot of these topics. Um, before we go, Chris, uh, where can folks contact you and continue this conversation? Yeah, there's a few places. So uh, you can go to viavia.vmware.com slash AI. That'll take you to their, our AI landing page. And you can see from there AI labs. You can see our reference architecture, all the different things we're working on, our joint solution with NVIDIA. It's all up there. Uh, the tech field day content is going to be really where you want to spend some time because we have a ton of demos that we've uh, presented there as well across a variety of different platforms, including demoing our own internal use cases that we've been operating for quite some time now. So a lot of knowledge out there. Those would be some great places to start. Thanks so much. Uh, Frederick, uh, thanks for coming to AI Field Day and co-hosting this podcast. Uh, what else are you into? Well, it's still the usual thing, trying to help customers, uh, helping them understand what AI is and provide them with a roadmap to successful AI. And as for me, uh, we're going to be uh, looking forward to another AI Field Day event, hopefully later this year. Um, we're also hosting a lot of other field day events. And of course, we're going to be continuing utilizing AI uh, published every Monday. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, utilizing AI is part of the Utilizing Tech podcast series. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe. You'll find us in all of your favorite podcast applications. Also, we would love it if you left us a rating and a nice review. Um, and of course, we'd love to hear from you too, if you want to let us know what you think of this. This podcast is brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise, which is now part of the Futurum Group. For show notes and more episodes, though, head over to our dedicated website, UtilizingTech.com, or you can find us on X, Twitter, and Mastodon at UtilizingTech. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next Monday. 